Welcome to Hot Breath Comedy Fam. On Monday, May 13th, I am teaching a clean comedy workshop. The last four I have taught sold out very quickly, so if you wanna learn about clean comedy, the business side, where the line is, how to write clean comedy, go to the link in the description of this episode, and we'll see you there. What's goody, Hot breath Averse? Welcome back to Hot Breath, the show where you learn comedy from the pros. I am your host, comedian Joel Byers, and we here at Hot Breath are on a mission to cultivate the next generation of great comics. And our last episode was actually all about the value of community, the value of comics helping comics. I know when I started comedy over 10 years ago, I didn't have a supportive and a positive environment to develop in, and it took me a lot longer to learn the craft of comedy and to network my way onto booked shows. But that's all changing as the new spirit of comedy that Hot Breath is sharing with the comedy industry is that supportive and positive, not the negative, not the competitive. So if you're listening to this, you are part of that revolution that's happening in comedy. And this episode today is a prime example of comics helping comics. My friend Dan Bublitz hosts a podcast called The Art of Bombing, which you know if you've heard this episode before, in over 300 interviews we've done with comedians, ranging from Jeff Foxworthy to Cedric the Entertainer to Andrew Schultz to Mark Norman and so many more, all about the craft. One of the questions we ask is always, what is your worst bombing story? And Dan has a podcast all about just that. It's incredible. My interview with him you can get the first half of it over on his podcast, The Art of Bombing. What you are hearing today is the second half of that interview. But definitely go check out the first half over on The Art of Bombing podcast because I share some stories I've never heard before. And uh, it brought up some good and bad memories. But you can be the judge of that. So please go listen to Dan's podcast. And if you're from Dan's podcast, welcome to the Hot Breathiverse. I'm so excited you're joining us here. And with all that being said... It is time to inhale a hot breath with me on the Art of Bombing podcast. I always like to do some standard questions, too, with my guests as far as the, the bombing of bombing, the dreadful feeling you get when you bomb. How does that affect you and how has it changed over the years? Oh, dude, those early bombs, like depression, like when I would bomb... <laughs> I was done. Like I was done. I, I mean, I've never been to a point where I would quit comedy. I've never been like, maybe I should quit. I never got there. But like when I would bomb, it would be like in a full emotional roller coaster of like, oh, my gosh, what am I even doing right now? What is wrong with me? I should have done this joke. That was stupid. And I like it was like I would be like depressed from bombing until I got back on stage again. Mm -hmm. So whenever I wouldn't really recover until I got back on stage. Now, I'm at a point now, it's gradually, gradually, gradually over time. I, I, that's something where, like when comics ask me for advice too, it's like everything I've learned has been a gradual process. It's not like I heard a tip or a technique and was like, oh, I just figured out comedy. It's like, no, maybe I heard that tip 10 times and on that 10th time it actually registered with mm -hmm. me or I heard that tip started to remember it then started to gradually apply it and then it became a practice within my comedy but it's all gradual 
Every, oh, absolutely. Not once have I had a light bulb moment to where, oh, all of a sudden I'm Superman. So yeah, and that's actually to add, just thinking about that because we're you know we both do podcasts and stuff, and our both our our podcasts are about comedy and typically trying to get better at comedy. Mm-hmm. That that wasn't a thing when we started comedy either. I mean, podcasts were just starting, and there wasn't really. Yeah a lot of these comedy podcasts where you could learn about stand-up comedy and how to do it. <laughs> so like yeah, a lot of the a... comics now, newer comics, they have kind of an advantage, you know, because they can speed up the process by listening to people like us who, who yeah. gradually <laughs> learned. <laughs> yes. As long as they're willing to put in the work uh, on the stage, you know, you can listen to podcasts, but you've got to apply what you're learning oh, and it only works if you do, you know? Yep. So that, that's a big piece I want to make sure comics understand that I'm always reiterating with people that if, if they like do one of my workshops, like I've, I've had, I, I did a class one time the day one, someone asked, okay, so how do we get paid? And I was like, <laughs> yo, if you're here to get paid in comedy, I will refund you right now. Like <laughs> I guarantee you that if you're here on day one of a class wondering how to get paid, then uh, you can just leave now because this comedy is not for you. Like I, I legit told this person that and they stayed, but I, I take comedy that seriously to where it's like, yeah, you can invest in it, but you've got to, you've got to put whatever your investment is to work. You know, you can't take a class and then just think about what you've learned. No, it, you got to get on stage. Oh yeah. So yeah. I think that's an important thing with all this information that comics have now, all this access to resources, You've got to remember to actually be a practitioner of this. You know, you've you've got to be out there putting in the reps. You can watch how to get abs on YouTube all day, but uh, how's that going for you? you (laughs) (laughs) You Yeah, exactly. Oh, no, exactly. You definitely have to apply it. That's for sure. I was just, you know, just pointing out that there's a lot more info. It's more accessible now. But you're right. If you don't apply it, it doesn't you could listen all day long and it ain't going to ain't going to do you any good. Now, yeah, it's it's great when you when you feel like you're starting to bomb or you do a joke that doesn't work. What goes through your mind as it's happening? Oh, yeah. And real real quick. So when now how I recover from a bomb is I have to just like remind myself that this is just it's just one set out of the many I'm going to be doing. And I immediately reflect on what went wrong and how it could have gone better. So I immediately go into like recovery mode of like okay that didn't go well what went wrong what could i have changed how can i do better the next time so i'm immediately fixing it right afterwards and that helps to ease the pain as opposed to just sulking about Mm -hmm. oh that didn't go perfect it's like okay what can i do for the next time so i just wanted to get close that loop oh absolutely being (laughs) depressed until my next show so now when i get off stage it doesn't go well okay how can i do better the next time automatically thinking that and that's helped a lot um in terms of when I'm feeling, you said it, when I feel it starting to bomb on stage, what's yeah. going through my mind yeah. and yep. what, now, what, what has really helped me and something that's, it's had, it's something that you just, I've had to practice over and over again and seeing professional comics do it, um, is keep going. Like it just because that joke doesn't hit, I'm constantly in the mindset of, oh, okay, I'll get them with this one. Okay, I'll get them with this one. Okay, I'll get them with this one. Like I'm never, I'm not retreating. I'm not, I'm not at a point now to where it's like, oh, that one didn't work. I mean, it can be a good save, but it can also become a crutch. If every time a joke doesn't work, you're like, oh, I guess that one didn't work, yeah. huh? 
And then they're like, yeah, keep going. And then like the next one, oh, that one either, huh? Like at a certain point, you've got to get rid of that crutch and you just got to sit in. If it doesn't work, just keep moving. And it's hard and it's like doing deadlifts, but that's really where the work comes in is you just keep going, keep moving forward. I'll hit them. I'll get them with this next one. I'll get them with this next one. Now there are moments where, like I referenced before, I was doing well on a set and then all of a sudden it stopped going well. And I, I, maybe I was going for like two minutes of it not going well. And then I, I realized it cause it was going well. And then all of a sudden it wasn't. So I was like, I did something in the middle of this to where it stopped going well. So I actually stopped and I like asked the audience, I was like, Oh, I've really missed you these past couple of minutes. I was like, what, where do we go wrong here? And like, and I like retraced the jokes I was doing in the moment <laughs> on stage of like, so I did this joke and that joke. And here in Atlanta, I've been, I've been known as white boy, Joe. All right. So <laughs> anytime someone needed a white boy, I was the plug. Like I was your white boy. I would get booked on so many shows where I was just the only white guy just in the zip code, <laughs> you know? And this was a show where I was, I was the only white guy and I made, I like just made like a, a racial joke, almost like just passively, not even thinking like about it. It wasn't something I prepared. I was kind of riffing it and then moved mm. on. But I said something that like that triggered people the wrong way in the audience and then that's when they shut down and I didn't realize it until I retraced it. And I was like, Oh, I said that. And that's probably what happened. They were like, yeah. And I was like, Oh, so it's like, that was a moment to where I had them and then lost them. So I retraced my steps back to where I lost them and then we could pick up again. But if it's just not going well and you're kind of drudging through the whole thing, it's just keep going, just keep chopping wood, say, I'll get them with the next one. Don't, it's a never say die mentality you have to have up there because it's like, you've got to have just a confidence in what you're saying. And eventually that confidence will seep into the audience. Like I've, I saw, um, well, something I know you've had Alonzo Bowden on your show mm -hmm. and something he said on uh, mine was that if you're afraid to say it, they're afraid to hear it. So that was a big thing that stuck with me. And I saw Mike Vecchione, he, I saw him headline here in Atlanta to where like, for like literally 10 minutes of the beginning of his headlining set, it was tepid laughter. It was just kind of like, ha ha. Like it wasn't killing. And I was like, but he just kept going. He just kept swinging. He, br he kept bringing them onto his rhythm onto mm -hmm. his level. And then by about 25 minutes in, he was getting applause breaks. And I was like, what? This guy <laughs> just stuck with it. Just kept swinging. And it paid off. And by the end, he was killing. But at the beginning, I was like, what is happening? But he was just getting them on his level. Mm -hmm. So my, my mindset to, to I kind of rambled there. But because I know a lot of people listening, they may be only doing five minutes or whatever. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times it's like never say die mentality. Just because the one joke misses doesn't mean your whole set's over. Like it does, the audience doesn't know it missed unless you tell them. Otherwise, yep. they're just waiting on a punchline. That's you know? very true. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's one of the biggest, uh, for me personally, something that I've observed about myself is that I'll do a joke or whatever. It doesn't go good. Or, or maybe I do a couple and I don't go. And then I'll call myself out. Or even if I don't, like I'll get off stage and I'll be like, man, that set just did not go well. I missed the punchline. I missed a joke. Blah, 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 whatever it is. And then I'm like, that 
set was the worst. And then people will come up to me and they'll be like, oh, that was the greatest thing I ever saw. And it's like, ah, that's because t- they didn't know that I was messing up. Only I did. <laughs> yep. Yep. And to it's them, never as bad as you think it is. Yep, like, absolutely. You're, you're, when you listen back on your sets, they're never as good as you think they are, <laughs> but they're never as bad as you think they are either. That's for sure. Oh, yeah, man. I've definitely listened back to some sets where I'm like, oh, man, this is a good show. And then I'm like, ah, <laughs> that was not as great as I thought it was. Exactly. Do you ever when you're performing, though, like like in that moment, like, you know, you you say just keep going, you know, do you like if for me anyway, I a lot of my set is organized by chunks of material, you know, like maybe topics or whatever. So maybe I'm doing stuff about dating or relationships or I'm talking about family or whatever the topic is. Do you like, if you, you know, if, if certain jokes that are, you know, around a topic aren't working and do you, you know, say you do a couple jokes, do you like try to fill out the audience where like, say, say you're doing jokes about not having kids in a, in an audience full of people that probably have kids, you know, you're at a school Mm -hmm. PTA thing, right? (laughs) so specific to people that would have kids (laughs) yeah exactly well that's my point like because sometimes material just doesn't resonate or relate with people do you try to feel out the audience and then you know try to throw an audible and do material that you think you know where you're like oh okay this material about me not having kids isn't working i need to shift to something else for sure for sure and that is a luxury as uh, the more material you get, the more audibles you can pull. Because um, early on, you're like, this is what I got. Yeah. So I'm doing it. <laughs> I got to do it. I got nothing else. Or sometimes you think you have 10, and then when you're bombing, it whittles down to three, and you're like, oh, wait, where'd my 10 minutes go? Um, so oh, I so will... you must do rapid-fire material, too, when you're bombing. <laughs> when you're bombing. You... Maybe if I just drown them with it, they will laugh, you know. <laughs> But I will definitely pull audibles now. Like if I'm in the middle of a whole bit and it's not really going well, I will just like pull an audible and just pivot into something else mm-hmm. and not like address it, but just move on. No one knows, you know. So no, absolutely. I'm definitely at a point now to where I will audible um, and it, do that to the whatever you're capable of. You know, like at, at a certain point, it's the more you work on it, the better you'll get at it, you know, of being able to pivot. And then maybe... Maybe you try an opener that doesn't work. So instead of going to your second joke you thought would work, you then move it to another joke. Like the more you do comedy, the more you'll be able to start manipulating your set to where you can have a set list. But if joke three doesn't work, maybe you'll throw joke seven up to where joke four was and put joke four down where joke seven was. And you can start to rearrange things that way. Yeah. Which is something I always aspired to be able to do when I was super young in the game of like, oh, I want to be able to like pivot and, you know, be able to be in more in the moment and all of that. But it comes with developing material. I oh, think there's absolutely. a misconception. Yeah. Comics are like, I want to be able to just riff on stage and just talk <laughs> and figure it out. It's like, no, I mean, the comics, first off, people that say that and can pull it off like a Bill Burr or like, I write on stage. Yeah, that's Bill Burr. He He's Bill Burr. You're and not he's Bill been Burr. doing it for a, a lot long time, too. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's another thing with all this information out there. Sometimes you hear someone 30 years in the game how they do it you're like oh i'll just do it like them it's like <laughs> gotta learn the rules before you break them you know yeah, and that's you, should, something- you should ask them how they did it you know when they started 30 years ago <laughs> yeah and even like kyle Kinane, who's one of like the best storytellers in the game 
when I interviewed him, he talked about doing one-liners for years. Like, he just learned the fundamentals. He learned how to write setup punch. He learned how to make silly jokes. And then through learning the rules, he was able to start to make them his own. Mm-hmm. But you first, you gotta start. You gotta start with the fundamentals. Yep. You crawl before you walk. Yep. That's where your your right ten club is really good because it really does like you know I've did a couple of them and then it inspired me to just kind of go off on my own because I can't always be there at you know ten in the morning yeah. when you do it. And so I started doing just go to a, you know they have these online word generators and so i would just get a random word same thing you're doing essentially but i just mm-hmm. did it on my own but i would write a couple different jokes or whatever but it, it it does a really good job at you you do a setup and you do a punch and you do you know the 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 sillier the misdirect of the joke the the better the punch the better the joke it ends up being you know a lot of them end up mm-hmm. being kind of the dad style but that's essentially what line one-liner jokes are you know like Every really, really good uh, one-liner joke could probably be thought of as a dad joke. You know, like that yeah. super silly, super dumb. You're, you're like, why am I even laughing at this? <laughs> I'm, and I'm terrible. I'm like, people will know, tune in every day. Like, I rarely win. A lot of my jokes don't make any sense. But like, oh, yeah, joke writing is one out of 20. Like, you'll write 20 jokes and one <laughs> will be worth keeping. Yep. So it's just... It's just tough. <laughs> I've thrown myself into this. <laughs> I can't hide anywhere. Like people can hide behind their screens and not post their joke that day or whatever, but I'm forced to post all my terrible jokes regardless. Um, and there's there's something to that of like posting it anyway, but like the vast majority of what I've written has been terrible. Like yeah. it, some of it doesn't make any sense in 10 minutes. Some days I'm not as motivated. Some days I'm showing up and just like going through the motions. Like I'm not immune to like the ups and downs of a daily practice, you know, but yep. you show up anyway. Like oh, that's, that's why it's there. You show up, especially when you don't feel like it. Regardless, mm-hmm. the, the success is that you showed up butt in chair and you wrote a joke that mm-hmm. day. That's the whole success. And hopefully it becomes a daily habit to where you write for 10 minutes and then maybe it grows into 20 minutes or 30 minutes. 10 minutes is a great starting point. But, I mean, you, you've got to be writing more to actually be developing your act. But 10 minutes is a very small, attainable goal for comics to just tune in, write for 10 minutes, and then go on with their day or show up early and write leading up to Write 10 Club or use that as time to then write later on in the day that inspires them. Like, it's just, it's just a great kind of daily reminder that, oh, I'm getting a little bit better at my comedy today. And those little bitty changes are what adds up to the big difference. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just from the stuff that I've been doing, like during the pandemic with, you know, you know, popping into the the right 10 or doing it on my own, whatever, I've been able to take some of those jokes that I wrote and sprinkle them into my act. Because I wasn't, yeah. a one, I'm not a one-liner comic. I'm more of a storyteller, you know. And 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 most most of my jokes are more bits than they are jokes because there's a lot more to them. It's more stories, that kind of thing. But I've been able to take some of these one-liners and put them in as little laugh lines in some of my stories and some of my other yeah. material, which has been great. You know, so that's my favorite, dude, is seeing people from the right ten club doing their jokes on like Zoom shows and such, and even. In our uh, in our uh, monthly contest now, you get a secret theme and you get seven days to write a brand new ninety second set, and it's an emotional theme because like writing from emotional place is like where you really start to find your voice and you find that material that connects with the audience because we've all seen comics 
who performed for an hour and were like, they were funny. I don't remember anything they said because you weren't emotionally connected to anything they were saying. So writing from emotion is what creates that memorable connection mm -hmm. with the audience. So this contest has become a way for people to write a new 90 seconds, tight 90 seconds in a week. And I've seen people, yeah, creating sets out of these 90 seconds and really building out their acts from it. I do it. You know, 11 years in, I need that accountability. Yep. The contest was a way for me to write longer form ideas and really develop ideas. And it's all just become a monthly just contest where you're seeing comics all around the world writing new material. And it's actually funny. It's it's very exciting. I'm, I'm so excited about where comedy is headed just with all these comics, like you said, all this access to information. But it's seeing the comics not taking this information for granted, but like using it as a platform to then build their own careers on. I think I'm really excited to see where comedy is going to be in just the next two years with this next generation coming up. Oh yeah, absolutely. It'll definitely be interesting. Now I know you touched a little bit on it when you were talking about, when we were talking about the bombing and bombing, because you're talking about what you do now to get away from that. But is there anything that you do specifically to like analyze your sets? Like when you, you know, a set that you felt like, ah, you didn't do very well. You go back, you listen to it. Do you look for specific things, you know, like what are some things you try to hone in on and pick out? Yeah. So review, um, I, it all is with the context of the show first off. So like whenever I go into a show, I'm assessing, I go through a checklist of like, okay, what day is it? What time is it? What make, what is the makeup of this audience? Like, are they here for comedy? Or is this a bar on a Tuesday at 10 PM that no one knew there was going to be comedy? What are, what are they laughing at from the other comics? Like I, I take into account all of those things as a context for how my set may or may mm -hmm. go or the material I may or may not do. So every show I go into, I'm going through that checklist first and foremost. And then when I review my sets after, I will grade my set on like an ABC level, on like a joke basis of like, okay, this joke got an A laugh, this joke got a B laugh, or this joke got a C response, which isn't a laugh really, you know. Um, mm -hmm. So then do you do when like an average of that? So like say yes. you're doing 10 minutes and you, you say you have 20 jokes in that 10 minutes and you, you grade them all, then do you do like averages? Yeah, yeah, to see how the set is overall. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I'll grade them that way. And what, I, what I'll also look for is if something doesn't work, or like, like if, an, if an A joke got a C response this night, it's like, okay, what went wrong? And it's usually something I did. It's usually something within the setup that I didn't say the right words, or it's something that happened that distracted people that I may not even noticed on stage. Like it could have been someone dropped a glass as, as I was doing this punchline. I didn't even notice it, but it distracted people that I heard on the audio later. So I'm always looking for like, how did the jokes do? And then if it's a joke I've been working on a while, if it didn't go well, or if a joke doesn't go well in general, I'm looking at why it didn't go well. And then how can I make it go well the next time? Mm -hmm. And I'll usually do a joke, you know, I don't really have like, I'm not going to lie and say I'm super organized and everything's in a spreadsheet. And after X amount of attempts, if it doesn't go, I strike through in red. Like I'm not very organized in that way. <laughs> I, I will say, and if anyone is, please let me know. I need help. I'm definitely not that organized. <laughs> yeah, I haven't, I haven't really met any comedians who were like, yeah, we've got it down to a science here. on organization." <laughs> but I will say that I will try a joke 
I, it probably averages out to like 10 times or so before I shelf it. I don't like kill a joke, but if it's a joke I care about and it, it's just not working yet, I'll just shelf it and come back to it later. Yeah. 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 I hope that helps. It's, no, you absolutely. Know it's and like, that's a good, a good point I haven't too. I have done that in a little while. Like I haven't, I don't think I've reviewed a set very thoughtfully except for that college I did last year. Mm-hmm. Cause like even these zoom shows, I'm not, I'm not really reviewing that mindfully. So even as me trying to go through the process I I used to do when I was on stage a lot, I was having to remember. So it's weird because <laughs> I I was having to remember that process. So it's interesting, and it's interesting that I'm not really applying that to my it Zoom shows as much, which is which is something I can control and should be more disciplined. Oh, absolutely. In. Yeah, but I was definitely. Just... Yeah, you definitely added perspective there for me, Dan. Well, that's good. That's good. I was just going to add to that too, talking about instead of killing a joke, shelving it. Cause I think that's a good mm-hmm. idea. Cause that's something that I know from my own experience, I've went back and, you know, looked at old jokes that I quit doing because they just didn't work then. And then I'm able to, you know, now I've been doing comedy 10 years. It's been eight years since I wrote this joke. I can yeah. rework it and then make it an actual funny joke. Or I'll have something that just wasn't necessarily that great on its own. And I shelf it, and then suddenly I've got this other great bit that's, you know, decent, but maybe not where it needs to be. And then I put the connection together that, oh, these two things can work together, and then it becomes one great joke. So that's yeah. definitely, you know, don't necessarily kill all the jokes, but, you know, shelf them and come back. <laughs> that's the toughest part, dude, about, like, like in this comedy journey of like when you're young in it and you're so ambitious and you have these goals and you know, you're great time. Yes. Like it a lot. I'm telling you, man, like a lot of it just comes down to time. And it's like, you have this joke you think is brilliant two years in five years in, you may figure out how to use it or eight years in, you may figure out how to use it. And it's the perfect bit that brings to life this entire chunk you have. Like it's just, it's time in a lot of ways. And a lot of the, the, great comics just didn't quit yeah there's so many amazing comics that ended up quitting that we'll never see the light of day but a lot of the best comics that we're seeing today they just didn't quit they just stuck with it and, and they weren't stick it, with it yeah and they weren't as, as always as good as they are now i mean no. that's the thing they were you know there's been plenty of comics that that are great now that are just like comedy beasts but when they started they were horrible and people yeah. will tell stories about yeah i didn't think this guy was gonna make it you know or this person and now here they are because <laughs> they kept stuck with it. and stuck that's why community is so important and like being supportive and having that collaborative spirit in comedy is so important because it's hard enough already just mm-hmm. trying to become a professional comedian that if you're having to compete and deal with all this negativity, that's just one more thing that may keep you from achieving your goals and you quitting comedy and just going back to Enterprise Rent-A-Car or whatever. That's what I did. Yeah. I worked at Enterprise. It was terrible. That, talk about bombing at life. That job. <laughs> well, job's was, a job. I mean, if, if you're paying your bills, I guess. <laughs> it was paying the bills. It helped, me, it helped me to save up a nest egg that I was able to jump into comedy with. So it was all positive, but it, it was a horrible job. Yeah, yeah, most most of it. Most jobs pre comedy are. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, end of the day, you know, comedy's the best job you can really have. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Get paid to go up and and make jokes. (laughs) Gotta you gotta treat it as a job if you want it to be. So like even when you're in these open mic days, you know, I would I would work from like seven to five and then be out at open mics. 
until midnight or 1 a.m. and then be back up for work again. And I would write on my lunch break and I treated it like a job, even though it wasn't my job yet. And I just created that habit and that ritual and stand up, treat it like a job and it will become mm -hmm. one. And then it eventually did. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, a lot of it goes, it, it really boils down to daily habits, too. You know, going yep. back to like the writing and getting up and doing the jokes and, and, and staying on a routine. Yep, for sure. Well, now That's we're right. going to talk about some of the more positive things. I like to I like to throw it, switch it around at the end of the end of the podcast. And one of my things that I've been asking is I've created an art of bombing, uh, get pumped for comedy playlist uh, yeah. on Spotify. So if there's a song that gets you moving and grooving that you would like add to the to the to the playlist, let's hear it. Oh, dude. Uh, Outcast bombs over Baghdad. That's because like DJs, you know, it, especially doing so many hood rooms is like there's always a DJ component. Like some comics, like half their sets are just music cues from a DJ. Like, it's yeah, <laughs> DJs would always ask me, you know, what do you want me to play when you come up? And I would always be like, just follow your heart. And then they started playing like uh, Vanilla Ice you know, and so I was like, all right, I'll just tell them a song from now on. And um, so it was always bombs over Baghdad. It always had good energy and it, it hits right away. And it also is bombs over Baghdad. I f it felt like it was, it was like, like getting me revved up to start dropping bombs on this crowd and just really bring the thunder. And it always gets me hyped when I hear it. And it's ATL. It's outcast. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Got to, got to represent the, the home city, right? <laughs> represent. <laughs> oh, what's been one of your favorite or best gigs that you've done so far? Oh my gosh. Um, oh my gosh. I mean the gig, honestly, the gig that solidified this is what I'm doing. Like the gig that solidified me what's possible in comedy was a church I did in front of 1800 people. And that, that was a moment that was just a few years into my career, but it was still one to where I did that gig. And I was like, Oh, so this is what comedy can be. It's not all open mics and coffee shops at 5 PM, <laughs> uh, you know, with homeless people heckling you in the window behind you. But th this is an actual, like, you can actually serve an audience with this. So 1800 people, I just remember the laughter and you can, in an audience that big, you can hear where the laughter starts and you can hear it like spread across the room. So sometimes it would start in the back and then roll forward. Other times it'd be like front left and then like jump back into the audience. And it was like, it was the first time that I really experienced comedy at that level. And it's still a benchmark of my career where I'm like, oh, okay, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And this is at the level it will eventually be, but I just need to be patient and consistent. And that was just like, that's always a reminder for me of just like, that was the moment to where it really opened up kind of, I kind of saw, I saw behind the curtain of like, oh, this is stand up at a <laughs> high level. So that one still remains like my favorite is just like, yeah, this is what's, this is the, the bright side of comedy not the open mic grind but what it can be and will be mm -hmm. absolutely no and those shows like that are so great when you when you have that opportunity uh to to, to perform for just you know for that many people but to be able to be sit there in the moment and be like oh maybe all the all the the crappy nights at an open mic aren't so bad they're gonna you know it, it was for a reason 
yes. for this. And this, exactly. there's more where this came from, uh, which exactly. is beautiful. The last thing I like to do is uh, we play a game called Pick a Number. You're going to pick a number between 1 and 20. I'm going to ask you a corresponding question that's uh, just a random question. Seven. Seven. All right. Lucky number seven. All right. Well, you're from uh, ATL. You're, you're the ATL area, and you're you're repre- representing ATL with your music. So, what's your favorite local hangout spot in ATL? And for those oh of you that are not aware what ATL is, that's Atlanta. <laughs> that's, that's Atlanta. Those of you that don't. Is it whack to say my house? Is it? Whack? <laughs> Maybe not. I mean, if that's what if that's what you're in. I mean, I would probably say that. I spend I'm more time it, at home. <laughs> I'm a homebody, dude. I, I love I love my home. Very the same way. To, yeah, I don't. I'm not really out in public that much unless it's for stand up. You know, I mean, and my wife and I will go out uh, to dinner and things like that. But I mean, there's no like real hangout place we'll go. It's like just like a go to. You know, mm-hmm. we're we're both kind of homebodies. We're we're our favorite people. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. We're like we're like a clone of each other, yeah. of couples. Because my fiance and I are the same way. We'll go out for dinner, maybe a few drinks, but we don't like have hangout spots. We pretty much our hangout, our local hangout spot is our couch. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel you on that. For Front sure. of the TV with all the animals around us. That's that's our spot. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> We're so old. That I was know. the oldest. All these young comics are like, what? They just lost all credibility. Yeah, like they're like they're all talking about you got to get out and stay out till midnight doing open mics, and they're talking about just staying home on the couch. <laughs> That's probably why we love it so much because we we've been out so much we can appreciate being home and just like the solace of being yes. able to do that. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's a very good point. You know, yeah, that's that's it. Because I guarantee you, when I was younger and I was going out more, I didn't care about being home. But I also think it. I think that uh, it kind of boils down to who your what your home life's like too. You know, like of if you're, course. you know, people that are in a good relationship, and 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 if they have a good home life, they want to hang out at home. You know, if you got good things, you know, it's it's funny because at the beginning of the pandemic, I. You know, the comedy part was a tragedy, but like not having to go out anywhere was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, dude, I had just gotten back from like a road gig in Wilmington, North Carolina, where like I was late. Dude, this is a six hour drive. I was late. Like, I've never driven six hours knowing I'm going to be late on the other end of that oh, trip. Oh, like, man. I couldn't stop. I had to keep going, knowing I was going to be late. And I was like, oh, this is the road. And then um, then pandemic hit, and I was like, oh, nice. I, <laughs> I don't have to do those for a while. Uh, um, just out of curiosity, why were you late? You knew you were going to be late. What happened? Traffic. Oh. <laughs> I, hit, I hit bad traffic coming out of Atlanta that I just didn't anticipate. Like, mm. I just left. I looked at the, 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 the map earlier that day, and I was like, okay, so this is how far away it is. And then I, so I didn't look at the GPS again. I just left a few hours later, traffic, and I was stuck into it for a while. And oh, as yeah. soon as I got to the gig, I had to go, I literally like got to the gig and went right on stage. Like I went, I've never done that before. Six hour drive and then no bathroom break. Just go on stage. Oh, that's the worst. It went well though, 
But I mean, it was that of like, okay, this is comedy, you yeah. know, by any means necessary. So it, I was, I was grateful for the pandemic after like, okay, I don't have to do those for a little while. <laughs> Get a nice little break. Get a nice little break. Well, Hey, this has been great. Uh, where can people find you on, uh, online? Where, where do you want to put them? Yeah. I mean, if, if comics, if you're listening to this and you want to level up your writing, seriously on Facebook, search hot breath. And you'll see the comedy writing room. Jump in there. There's almost 3,000 comics around the world. We do a daily writing club in there. We do monthly joke writing contests. And it's just a nice, positive, supportive comedy community. You can really meet me and a lot of other comics. And we also have classes and workshops, if that's something you think would help you with. And if you enjoyed hearing me talking on here, I did self-produce my own comedy special that I released last year called The Trophy Husband that's available on my website, joelbyerscomedy.com. Thanks, Joel. This has been great. It's been a long time coming, Dan. We're in this together, my friend. <laughs> yes, we are. There you have it, hot brethren and sistren. You listening to this today means you are part of the comedy revolution. Share this episode. Let people know there is a new way to pursue and support comedy as a comedy fan, please reach out to me directly, ask any questions, just show, hey, I thoroughly enjoyed this episode, and go over to Dan's podcast and listen to the first half of this episode as well, and give it a subscribe while you're at it. If you like this podcast, you'll love Dan's as well. So please, we are all about community here. You heard me reference our Facebook group, Go join that Facebook group. It's linked in the description of this episode. Go join that. Connect with me and comics around the world doing a daily writing contest. Our YouTube channel has daily comedy tips on there as well. We are all about helping comics level up their comedy and also connecting them with comedy fans. So if you're a comedy fan listening to this, you can still do your part by sharing this episode with other comedy fans you know, by reaching out to your favorite comedians by going to my website and supporting my self-released comedy special you know just just the bare essentials but all that being said those ways to support are linked in the show notes of this episode and i am so grateful for you so thank you all for tuning in and we will see you right here next monday only on hot Hot Breath. This episode of Hot Breath is sponsored by our Patreon. If any of our content has helped your comedy career, join our Patreon linked in the show notes and get positive comedy karma for life. Probably.